0: Welcome to the teaching ministry of Elevation Church. Today we'll hear from lead pastor Dave Carroll as he teaches a message titled, Surrendering Myself to Jesus. Well, if you missed it last week, or if you were here last week and have slept since then, let me recap last week for you. Has anybody slept since then? You know what I'm saying? Where it's like, wow, last Sunday was a long time ago. Uh, Especially if you have multiple kids, you know what I'm talking about, don't you? Uh, Maybe even a kid, depending upon the kid, I'd say. But last week, we began the series Life Hashtags, and we talked about seeing ourselves as Jesus sees us. Seeing ourselves as Jesus sees us. And in there, we we learn that Jesus sees us differently. He sees us differently than everyone else. He sees us differently than we see ourselves. We learn that Jesus sees us completely. There's not a single secret that we can hide from God. God knows everything, even our deepest thoughts. That's pretty scary, isn't it? We also learn that Jesus sees things in us. He has created us to be someone that we can't always see. There's places that we settle for in life that God is saying, No, I have created you to be my child who has an amazing role in my kingdom and to further my purposes, and yet we kind of stop somewhere short because we just don't see like Jesus sees when we look at our life. But then we got to this place called response, and that our response to Jesus kind of lets everyone know and lets ourselves know how... We see ourselves. In other words, if we we hear the word of God, if we hear what He's asking us to do, and we respond quickly, or we respond joyfully, or we respond specifically, and we begin to give God specific things in our life, we learn that that tells us that we're beginning to see ourselves as Jesus sees us. That's pretty important, isn't it? To see yourself as Jesus sees you. Well, today uh, we're going to talk about the main action of your response to see yourself as Jesus sees you and the word is surrender would you say surrender see nobody wants to say that very loud especially if you put the word i in front of it let's try that together i surrender nobody likes to say that do you i mean that's that's unamerican isn't it we don't surrender for anything you know if you if you want if you don't like it you can leave you can go somewhere else we don't like surrender but here is the truth Jesus' call to us was not to come and sit in a church service. That's that's the great misunderstanding about faith in Christ in our country. He didn't call us to come and sit. He called us to come and die. He called us to come and die. And it doesn't matter whether you've been a believer for 30 years or whether you've been a believer for 30 seconds or whether you are not quite a believer yet. It is no less hard to surrender every day to Jesus ourselves. We're not talking about your wife. We're not talking about your kids. We're not talking about the boss you don't like. We're talking about who? Me. Me. We're talking about me. It's hard to surrender ourselves. But Jesus says, come and die. But it's kind of like a war, a big war. And I'm not talking like the war that you had with your little brother or sister, you know? I come from a family of four boys. And let me tell you, it was on every day. You know what I'm saying? There was a war. If I came home, I just knew that I was going to have to throw a punch and I was going to like it, right? You know, I, I happen to be a dad of four boys and my poor wife, she really has five boys, if you know what I'm saying. And Every day it seems like somebody just wants to dexify. There's this tension. There's this war happening. But for us, it's a war that's raging on the inside. It's the the difference between I am going to satisfy the desires of myself and let myself win because I don't like to surrender. Or I am really going to lay down my life, lay down my pride, and surrender to Jesus. It's a lot like General Charles Cornwallis' surrender story. Uh, I want you to check this out. This is a movie that you might be familiar with. It's from The Patriot, and it's an it's a imaginary story. It's what might a soldier have felt at the end of the Revolutionary War in the late 1700s. And I want you to, as you look at this video, I want you to really hone in and pay attention on the story of Cornwallis' surrender. Check this out. Charlotte. The war has turned. General Cornwallis took flight with his army and moved north. We continued to engage the British and in the months that followed, Cornwallis entrenched himself at Yorktown, Virginia. George Washington escaped from the north undetected and surrounded Cornwallis, who could not retreat to the seas. It was blocked off by our long lost friends, who had finally arrived. people of France. Vive la liberté. My lord, I beseech you. You must order the surrender. How could it come to this? change everything has changed though he eventually surrendered Cornwallis himself hid in shame appointing his subordinate to relinquish his sword with the war ending and our militia disbanding I take measure of what we have lost if you caught it General Cornwallis had a tough time surrendering. I want to read to you the details of what happened at his surrender. This was a two-month process where he had realized after several months and several years even of thinking he had won a war, the tide suddenly changed in an instant and everything was coming in at him. And listen to his surrender story. This happened on October 19, 1781. General Cornwallis surrendered 7,087 officers and men. 900 seamen. He gave up 144 cannons, 15 galleys, a frigate, and 30 transport ships. He was, now get this, this is the important part. Think about how much he just gave up. Thousands and thousands of dollars, thousands of people. It says, but he did not attend and he would not attend his own surrender ceremony. Back in that day, when the general surrendered, he would meet the opposing army's general And he would offer his sword personally as a sign of surrender. But in pride, he didn't show up to this. But he sent his second-in-command, General Charles O'Hara, and carried Cornwallis' sword to the American and French commanders. And so as the British troops marched out to surrender, the British band played the song, The World Was Turned Upside Down. But yet their leader was unwilling to surrender himself and lead out. And I have a question today as we enter the scripture. As the Lord Jesus Christ encroaches upon your life, as he draws near to you, and he begins to win the battles, and they look sometimes like losses to you because it could be a hard part in life, it could be something that's painful. As God begins to come in or maybe he rescues you and brings a great season of joy and sorrow or maybe something happens that you say, that was the hand of God and he comes closer. Let me ask you a question. Are you using the resource of Jesus to take for yourself and run from God or are you willing to hand over the sword? Are you willing to say, God, it doesn't matter if I've been through this a thousand times with you or if the first time. God, I surrender myself to you. I'm showing up to the surrender ceremony. And whatever it is you're asking me to give up, here it is. You can have it. But the great question of the day is this. How do we surrender? And I believe... That we find the answer in the book of Colossians today. And if you would, join with me in Colossians chapter 1. We're actually going to start from verse 1 and read all the way through verse 9. We're going through verse 14 today. But Colossians is a phenomenal book. Actually, it's one of my favorite books because the whole point of Colossians is the supremacy of Jesus. Is there a group of people in here today who believes that Jesus is supreme? That Jesus is worthy of praise? That Jesus is worthy of worship? This is the book of Colossians, and here's the, here, here's the truth. As we lift Jesus high, we bow down low and surrender, and Christ becomes supreme. Here it is, Colossians 1.1. I invite you to read along in your Bibles with me. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ who are in Colossae, that was one of the cities there, that Paul had reached. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Here we go, verse 3. We give thanks to to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of your love for all the saints. Because of the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, of which you you before heard the word of truth of the gospel, which has come to you, it has also in all the world and is bringing forth fruit as it is also among you since the day you heard and knew the grace of God. Let's talk about the beginning when they first came to Christ. It says, as you also learn from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant who is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf, Who also declared to us your love and the Spirit. You may say, Dave, why are you reading this beginning stuff? Don't we normally skip the beginning parts in the message? What does this mean? This is talking about the beginning of this church's life. Much like our church, they encountered some people in the early days, and there were a bunch of people who found faith in Christ for the first time. And he's talking about this beginning season that we can identify with very closely uh, here as an 18 month old church. Think about what's happened in the last two years. This is what's been happening to the church, uh, to the Colossians here. And here's where we pick up in verse 9 and begin to learn our first three hashtags to file our life under in the area of surrender. Here's verse 9. For this reason, the reason of all the prayer that's happened to them, for the people who went and reached them, who did the work of the gospel. For this reason, we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to ask, here it is. To ask that you might be filled with the, what's that word? Say it with me. Knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. You see, what was their prayer for the, for the very beginning of, of, these, of this young Christian's life? That they knew the destination that they were headed to. And here's your first hashtag. Surrender begins with destination. Surrender begins with having a point that you are headed to. Now, I've come to think of this since I've moved to Montana, this Florida boy. I think life is like driving from Billings to Denver in the winter during a winter storm on icy roads. You know, it's kind of like sometimes you have to stop. Sometimes you have to stop and turn around and go back even though you wanna be in, in Denver. You just gotta hold on. Sometimes you have to call off the trip altogether and wait for a whole nother season. And most of the trip, you can't talk to anybody but God because your cell phone doesn't work, right? Life is like going from Billings to Denver through Wyoming and your destination matters because if you have the right destination, you will begin to make the right course corrections in your life. This is why Paul prayed that they would be filled with the knowledge of God's will. Now, if you were here a few weeks ago, we did a message called Perfecting It. I encourage you to go back online and listen to it if you missed it. In there, we talked about the end goal. We talked about what is the end goal that Jesus is trying to accomplish in your life and in my life. And and we know this. If we get the destination, the distance of our destination, this is very important. Write this down on your notes. The distance of our destination determines the length of our obedience. The distance of our destination determines the length of our obedience. Let's unpack this. Why is Jesus able to obey God all the way through to eternity? It's because he knows Revelation chapter 22 says that he wins. Says that he kicks Satan into the lake of fire. It says that he knows that all hell and all evil is going to get what they deserve. And he knows that destination, Jesus, can look that far out. How many of you are having trouble five minutes after service today, right? But Jesus can see all the way to the end. And because he can see all the way to the end, he could take the little steps. He could step from heaven to earth and become a man. He could walk to the cross. He could die on the cross. You see, if he was short-sighted, Jesus probably would have got to the cross and said, I don't deserve this. I'm perfect and I'm God, and I don't have to pay for this. It's not my sin. But he sees all the way to the end. He has the full knowledge of the will of God. That's pretty impressive, isn't it? Now, don't feel bad. I can't get that far either on most days. But I do know this. The distance of our destination determines the length of our obedience. Listen to Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 2. It says this. How do we surrender? We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, because of the joy awaiting him, he knew what was on the other side, the distance of his destination. He endured the cross, disregarding its shame, because he knew that now he is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. Do you know what keeps you from surrendering your life to God? Have you ever wondered why can't I lead my family spiritually? Why can't I just go ahead and get let my head go underwater in a pool before other Christians in baptism? Why can I not take the next step? Why can't I do it? Why can't I get there? How come I can't lead my kids? You can write this word down. It's not on the screen, but you can write it down. Short-sightedness. You know what that is? That's living for today. My destination for today is not the full knowledge of the will of God. It's just so I can make another dollar and hopefully pay the rent. Or, or maybe so that maybe my, I could just make it one more day through my marriage. If I just get through one more day, that would be great. Well, here is the problem with those kinds of terminal destinations. They repeat day after day after day. And there's failure after failure after failure. And we get discouraged and eventually this becomes who we are. People with no destination in Christ. And we begin to struggle. And like Cornwallis, we, f- we fail to show up at the surrender ceremony. Does it make sense? This is what's happening. But what we have to do is be like Jesus. I know it's hard because have you ever heard the statement? Repeat it or, or continue it if you know it. He's so heavenly minded that he's no... What is the next part? Earthly good. Sometimes we think that so much, but the truth is, if we're going to fix our eyes on Jesus and let him perfect our faith the way his was perfect, we have to begin to get heavenly minded. That in this earth, in this planet, we're just passing through. But you may say, well, if I pick the destination, what do I need next? Here's your next hashtag. Surrender endures through determination. So our destination is important. But now, our determination. You see, how committed are we to reaching the destination? How committed are we to reaching the destination? Another word you might be able to write next to this word determination is daily. You see, like I said before, Jesus could, can take all the steps. He can have Christmas where he steps from heaven to earth. He can have the cross. He can have the ascension. He can wait even until... The return of Jesus to come get the church. He can wait that time because he has a further destination than we all do. But he's able to do the little steps because of that. We have to come into Christ daily. Every single day has to be a new day where we say, my eyes are on Jesus and I'm going to course correct to look more like him. Listen to Colossians chapter 1 verses 10 and 11. Why did he want the knowledge of his will? Why did he pray that we would have that? That we would walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might according to his glorious power for all patience and long suffering with joy. How many of you here t- today want to please God? How many of you want to please God more than the day before? more than the week before, more than the year before, more than that big emotional mountaintop you were on the day you came to him. That needs to become our desire that our life will please God. You see, if destination determines the length of our obedience, determination delivers our next steps in surrendering our life to Jesus. For instance, if you walked in today and you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, you surrender by grace through faith. In Jesus Christ, and you begin. If you have a relationship, you obey him through baptism. If you've been baptized, you plug into fellowship with other believers. You begin serving through the body, through the church. You don't sit on the sideline. You give your gifts to God, as difficult as that might be. Trust me, there are days where I wake up tired as well. But you know what? I've never, ever given myself and surrendered completely to God where he didn't fill me back up twice Twice more than what I started with. It's never happened. 1 Peter chapter 4 verses 1 through 2 says this. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from, what's that word there? Sin. Sin. Has ceased from sin. So as to live for the rest of the time In the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. You're willing to take the next steps. Now, you 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 might be thinking, Dave, are you asking me to be perfect? No. Listen, uh, look at me for just a second, right? Do you think I do steps very well? The next steps? No. As a matter of fact, I remember my biggest step, my biggest step blunder in my life was when we first had Aiden. We lived in a 1,100 square foot. Uh, townhouse that had steps, and I had never, ever in my life lived in a, in a house with steps, because in Florida, all the houses are just flat. There's no basements, right? And occasionally, they build something up, but most houses are just one big story. You know, if you have 2,500 square feet, it's just one story, 2,500 square feet. So I never knew what it was to walk in steps until we had our first kid. I had to do it with a kid, and I was walking down the steps, and I crossed the landing, which was a new word my wife taught me when I was like 24, okay? Uh, I didn't even know. She said, hey, watch the landing. I, what's a landing? I don't know what that is. Are you making, That's like an airplane. That's, uh, you know, I, did, I truly didn't know. And she said, watch the landing. Well, one day I was walking around the landing, and as I did, I missed a step with Aiden in my hand at one year old. And I proceeded to be his snow ski uh, all the way down the steps into the ground as I held him above, hitting my head, boom, 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 smack. I hit the ground. Well, your Christian walk is a lot that way. I was headed to a destination. How I got there wasn't so pretty. You know what I'm saying? As a matter of fact, it would have been pretty funny is really what it would have been if you would have saw it. And thankfully my wife did not have a smartphone back then because if she did, it would be on Facebook. I'm pretty confident (laughs) of that. But but your walk with Jesus may look a little bit like that stairwell episode where you're taking steps, but you slip and you fall and it it hurts and you're, you're hoping that Precious things to you, don't get ruined. That God is calling you out to a place of surrender that you've never dreamed of, but you're like, oh, I see the next step, but it's too hard, or hey, I tried to take it and I fell. God is saying, take the next step because it shows how determined you are toward the destination of heaven. Are you trying to get somewhere? Are you trying to get somewhere pure, somewhere holy, somewhere right, somewhere that has joy? then be determined the way Jesus wants us to be determined. Be a verse 10 Christian that says that you will walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. You know what the word fully in the Greek means? Fully. It means all the way. That is what God is asking of us. You see, here's your next blank. It's easy to tell if a person is determined to get to a destination. How determined they are by what they add and what they subtract. Remember 1 Peter 4? It said, well, if you're truly wanting to please Christ, you are going to arm yourselves. It's kind of like in Montana, we get that, because we know if the government ever turns on us in Montana, we're going to arm ourselves, right? That's who we are in Montana. I'm just kidding. I thought I'd throw it in there. But when something's happening and you have a goal in mind, you're going to take up the right tools to do the right job. But see, when we don't get rid of sin, it shows that we're not very serious about surrendering ourselves to God, becoming who he wants to become. Any Yankee fans in the room? This week, Derek Jeter, Derek Jeter had an amazing send off. How many of you saw Derek Jeter? Yeah, Derek Jeter is the Yankee captain, possibly one of the most famous New York Yankee baseball players in the modern era. And I did a little little homework on Derek Jeter. And he had a storybook ending. If you're not familiar, uh, just a few nights ago was his very last game at Yankee Stadium that he was ever going to play. He's retiring. He's played for over a decade. And he's one of the uh, statistical leaders in almost every category for a shortstop. And he got the opportunity to have a walk-off game-winning single for his very last at-bat at his home stadium. And I thought, just for a second, in light of this message, and in light of surrender, and in light of destination... You know, hey, that's a fairy tale ending. How did Derek Jeter get to have a walk-off single for his last at-bat at home when they had this big party planned for him after? Was that just a coincidence? Did you know what, how did that go? Well, how did he get there? And I come to find out, after studying Derek Jeter's habits, that over they estimate over the course of his life that Derek Jeter has taken. 342,000 swings of the baseball bat in his life. Now, Derek Jeter is only three years older than me. I'm 37. He's 40. And, and as I watched that replay, I thought, now why is he doing that about the same age? And I'm doing what I'm doing. <laughs> the answer is 342,000 swings. You see, when I was off in college, like trying to just get a good deal at Arby's, you know what I'm saying? He... He went. He went, and he would take the baseball bat, and he would practice swinging every day. He would swing the the bat so often, so much, that he became a number one draft pick out of high school. You see, when I was just trying to make a few bucks in high school, hoping to get by, Derek Jeter wrote an essay called "I Will Be the Shortstop for the New York Yankees." He knew his destination but he also had the daily discipline. He course corrected. He was doing things that other people weren't doing to get there. We have to be determined as Christians to do the things that honor God, even though everyone else is not doing them, so that we can live a life of surrender. We have to pick up the baseball bat. We have to pick up God's word. We have to go ahead and let God change the parts and pieces of our character that we say, you know, God, anything but that because no one knows about it. And so I, I definitely don't want to change it. Let's just leave it. No, that's not how you reach the destination of fully pleasing to the Lord with the full knowledge of his will. And finally, after a destination, a determination, and I never D you to death or, or do this, do all the same letters. But I decided to give you all D's today. Does that sound good? There needs to be a declaration, you see the skin of surrender. Here's your last hashtag. The skin of surrender is declaration. And what do I mean by that? Well, last week I said, how do you know if you're seeing Jesus, seeing yourself as Jesus sees you? How do you know if, if you're accomplishing that? It was by your response, right? We said it was specific, the speed of your response. And also the sentiment, the, the attitude that you had for your response. Well, If response shows how we see ourselves, then our declaration is the skin that shows we're surrendering. In other words, Jesus said it this way in Matthew 15, 18. Listen to this. This is really important because if this part's messed up, you can know that you know that you know that you are not in surrender to Jesus. Jesus said, but the words you speak come from the where? From the where? From the heart. And that is what defiles you. The simple statement that what comes out of our mouth reveals what's in our heart. And it shows the level of our surrender. Listen to verse 12 through 14. You can read along with me too if you'd like, quietly. What does he say after he prayed that they would have the full knowledge of God, they would be pleasing to God? He gave thanks. Now, if you're going to give thanks to somebody, what do you have to do? Open your mouth. Open it. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified. And isn't it a great thing today? I don't ask for an amen very often, but can I ask for an amen? That he qualifies the unqualified today. Isn't that a great thing about God? You may have walked in and felt unqualified to surrender and to please God. But he qualifies the unqualified, us to be partakers. And here's what we have to know. What is the end destination? What can we open our mouth and declare and praise God for? That we have the inheritance of the saints in the light We have no idea what that means, that we have an inheritance given by God Almighty. You will spend the rest of your life figuring out the depth of that statement. That God has something waiting for you in eternity beyond what you can comprehend. He has delivered us from the power of darkness. He has conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of His love. In whom we have redemption. That means that Jesus paid the price of our surrender so that our joy might be increased. Aren't you grateful today that Jesus doesn't require you to pay your own price for sin? That that's not a have to. Now you may choose to, and that's not going to be fun. But you don't have to do it. Because in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sin. And when we start to get our destination right, and we course correct, and we have the 342,000 swings going on every day, the daily discipline. Next comes out of our mouth statements of praise. God, I praise you for my marriage when it's tough. God, I praise you that you've allowed me to be the parent of a child who has a disease or has a mental illness. God, I praise you. Because I'm making twelve an hour when I should be worth thirty, God, I praise you. Because even though my card didn't start today, I know that you see me and that you take care of me and that I'm forgiven. And even though this is a short-sighted problem, I have a longer destination that I'm looking at, and I'm going to keep going. Do you get surrender? This is biblical surrendering of ourself. To Jesus. Let's say, I surrender again. I surrender. So, what do you do with your words? What do they say? Look at these. Are your words full of praise or are they full of poison? This is the barometer, this is the litmus test for your level of surrender to Jesus and whether or not you're fully surrendered, whether you're showing up to the sword giving ceremony. Are they sincere or are they cynical? Are they compassionate or are they complaining? Are they eternal or are they me eternal? What do your words say about your surrender to Jesus? Because there's no better place to be than surrender to our Savior. I've told you my first favorite passage in the whole Bible is Galatians 6-9. I told you that back on Jersey Sunday. Last week, I told you my second favorite passage was what we read last week in Ephesians chapter four. And today, I'm going to give you my third favorite passage. It's in Jeremiah chapter 20, verse seven, all the way through verse 11. And I love this because Jeremiah was a guy who had a bunch of bad days. Anybody have a bunch of bad days in the room, you know, where it just gets a little rough, you know, where the news isn't quite what you hoped it would be, where the business deal didn't work out like you hoped. Or maybe life, you turn around and you're in midlife crisis and it didn't quite go the direction you thought it would go. Jeremiah was one of those people, and this is why I like these, this passage. Listen to his complaint. Basically, he gets, he gets indentured by the king for opening his mouth about what God told him to say. He did what God told him to do, and it turned out that he got put in prison for it. How about that? And so Jeremiah wants to have this conversation with God. He says, God, we need to talk about this. I obeyed you, and now I have a setback. Now I'm in jail. Now now everybody hates me because I did what you wanted me to do. And this is his conversation in Jeremiah chapter 20, and I love it. It's my third favorite passage of Scripture in the whole Bible. Oh, Lord, you have deceived me, and I was deceived. Sounds like a great start off, doesn't it? You have overcome me and prevailed. I have become a laughingstock all day long. Everyone, read it. Everyone mocks me. Everyone. For each time I speak, I cry aloud. I proclaim violence and destruction because for me the word of the Lord has resulted in reproach and derision all day long. But then, as he starts off the prayer this way, listen to how it changes just a little bit. But if I say, I will not remember God... Or speak any more in his name, then in my heart it becomes like a burning fire shut up in my bones. And I'm weary of holding it in, and I cannot endure it. For I have heard the whispering of many, there's terror on every side of me. Denounce this guy. Let us denounce him. Listen to this all his trusted friends were watching for Jeremiah's fall, saying, perhaps he will be deceived so that we may prevail against him and take our revenge. That's a pretty bad day, isn't it? That's a very bad day. That's a, that's a no good, very, <laughs> very bad day, right? That beats Arthur's day. But I love verse 11. It's my, my third favorite verse in the whole Bible because it showed that Jeremiah knew his destination. He knew where he was going. He knew that he would pay the price to get there. And he says this, But the Lord is with me like a, say this strong, dread champion. But he knew that God was with him. God's presence was there. And if he surrendered to God's will, no matter how difficult, no matter how painful, no matter how convenient, if he surrendered, he had a champion in this life. You know, when I was growing up, I thought Mike Tyson was bad when he got in the ring. But I know this, when God gets in the ring of your life, he's more feared than the greatest boxers in the history of boxing, than Muhammad Ali or Mike Tyson. He's more feared than the best athletes who show up on the field and, and think they're gonna win. He's more feared than the most domineering ladies in the world who have, who have learned to do businesses like Martha Stewart who walks in the room and commands respect. These people don't, they don't, they, they don't even matter compared to God. God is willing, if you are willing to surrender, God is willing to show up and be a dread champion in your life. Here's where we conclude today. I want you to fill in the blank quietly in your heart. God, I surrender my, to you, because you are my champion. I surrender my, I don't know what that is. You do to you because you are my champion. And in this, we're saying, God, no longer will I buy into the short-sighted, fleeting, pleasureful things of this world that bring me pain on a daily basis, but I will now live for something that's further out and I will pursue it with every ounce of my being and surrender to you. Does that sound like something that is fulfilling in life? Because I can tell you, there is no better place to be when you don't have to be your own champion. And you've surrendered to Jesus. I invite you to pray. God, as we come to this time of response, I want to pray and ask that you would give us a place of surrender today. God, I know there are people who walked in, and they're doing great. Lord, life is awesome. But yet, even in our success, you are still calling us to surrender. God, I know there are people who have walked in, and they've been withholding their best from you. God, they've been holding back because they're not sure that you're the champion you say you are. And God, today, during this time, would you reveal yourself to us to know that you are the dread champion of this life, that your word is true, God, that the 340,000, swings are worth it. God, we declare praise today, that you are praiseworthy, that you are the God above all little g gods. Lord, that your work on the cross is not just uh, incredible to us personally, but, God, it's astounding that you would take such a, a moment of surrender in your own being on our behalf. And, God, our response today is to respond to you in that same way. God, to give you back a life of surrender, knowing that never once did we ever walk alone when we're fully given to you, when we're fully pleasing you with the full knowledge of your will. God, today, I surrender. In Jesus' name we pray. Elevation Church. You can find out more about our church or listen to other messages at elevationbillings.com. Thanks again for listening and have a great day.